The following audio is from Midtown Fellowship in Columbia, South Carolina. If you're interested in becoming a part of our extended family, visit midtowncolumbia.com slash partner. Uh, I'm Ant. I'm one of the pastors here at Midtown 2, not if I've not had the privilege uh, of meeting you. Hopefully I'll be able to do that uh, before uh, we uh, end our time together today. Super glad if you're new that you're here worshiping with us. If you are new, hopefully you were able to get uh, one of our bulletins that we, that we passed out at the bottom of that. It has what we call a sign and drop. We'd love for you to uh, give us a little bit of information so just so we can know a little bit about you and drop that in the offering basket as it comes around uh, at the end of our gathering uh, today. We would appreciate if you'd be able to do that, especially if this is your first time. We'd just love to be able to connect with you and acknowledge uh, that you are here with us. Uh, we are in the middle of what we call our uh, Serve the City Weekend. Uh, the passages that we'll be getting in today will be in 2 Kings chapter 6. If you can go ahead and turn there, uh, again, 2 Kings chapter 6. Uh, we'll start there. We'll get into ch- to chapter 7 uh, as well. Give you a little bit of time uh, to get there because I know we don't mess with books in the Old Testament like that. 2 Kings chapter 6. Super glad, again, that you are here. We're in the middle of Serve the City Weekend where we get to um, partner together as a family of churches. So this is us at Midtown Two Notch, also our downtown church and our Lexington church. We have uh, had so far uh, this weekend and what we're anticipating for today and tomorrow uh, over 500 people, I believe, that will be serving uh, our city. Amen. Amen. No claps on that. we have about 500 people that will be serving our city in various, in various ways based on the partnerships which I shared with us uh, last week. We're excited to be able to do that. We actually got a little recap video of what's been going on already this week, uh, so if you guys could check that out. Amen. It is uh, extremely important that as a body of Christ we uh, shine the light that we have been given by Christ uh, our Savior and be involved in making our city uh, do what I call uh, frequently look more and more like heaven every day. Uh, that we, uh, Jesus called us to pray that his kingdom will come, that his will will be done on earth uh, as it is in heaven. That we, we desire to see just, just as in heaven and in the kingdom of God, everyone is taken care of uh, where, because God looks out uh, for those in his kingdom. We want to be an extension of that uh, by serving others. Uh, so we do the Serve the City weekend. Again, I believe there are probably a few other ways uh, to serve, uh, I think, this evening and also tomorrow uh, on MLK Day. And so if you're uh, interested and you haven't been able to serve, uh, I think you can probably go online and sign up if they haven't closed those uh, sign-ups uh, yet. So today, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look into a different aspect of, uh, of serving others. Last week, we talked about uh, how serving is a, uh, is, a, is a means of actually achieving greatness, that when the disciples were fighting over who is the greatest, Jesus didn't tell them to stop trying to be great, but actually he told them, if you want to be the greatest, that means you have to outserve everybody. You are to serve more than anybody else, and the one who actually is the greatest servant is the greatest of all. Today we'll be talking about a different aspect of, of Christian service, and that is the, the, the ministry of sharing Christ and who he is uh, it, it, is the, it is the way of serving that I, that I personally believe um, uh, supersedes every other aspect of serving uh, that we do. Every, every time we meet needs here uh, in, in this life, that's a very important thing that we should absolutely do. But, but we understand that, it, that in this life, we have, we have a finite number of years, right? We're, we're able to bless people for a limited number of years as long as we are just serving and meeting needs, which is very important. But what we also understand is that in, in this limited number of years we have on earth, we have the ability to join God in effecting eternity as we share his good news. Second Kings chapter 6, hope you're there. We're going to start it at verse 24. We'll read 24 and 25 to get us started off, and we'll give a little context on this passage that we're in. This is about the, um, the kingdom of Israel, uh, God's people here in the Old Testament. Verse 24, afterward... 
Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, mustered his entire army and went up and besieged Samaria. Samaria is the capital of Israel at this time. Verse 25, and there was a great famine in Samaria, and they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and the fourth part of a cab of dove's dung for five shekels of silver. A lot of weird stuff going on in that passage. Let me try to uh, explain as basically as I can what, uh, what, what is going on. God's people, uh, it's very important when you're reading a passage in the Old Testament that's a narrative, that's a story, that you, you, you look for words that give you the context of what God's people are going through. Uh, one of the first things that hopefully uh, you want to jump out to you is that it said there was a great famine in the land. A great famine. This is one of the worst things that could possibly ever happen uh, to the kingdom of Israel at the time because they were a primarily agricultural society, which means they lived off of the land. So they, they grew food and they ate the food that they, that they grew out of the ground. But they also, um, their, their animals were used for work and their animals were used for food as well. And obviously, if there's a famine, if there's no rain for, for weeks and months and maybe even years on end, then those animals aren't able to eat as well. And so your whole, the whole economy of your kingdom breaks down if there's a famine. Like, like famine almost equals death. So for them, rain is like life and famine basically equals death and starvation for them. But on top of that, so that's one of the worst things that could ever happen. Um, a great famine in the land. So God's people are, are in trouble great trouble, but also there is a siege uh, that is happening where it says the king of Samaria is besieging Samaria. So that's a, uh, the, to besiege something is a military tactic when you set up an army around the city and block all resources going into the city, right? So you have military and say, anybody who's trying to come in and trade, you're like, no, nah, that, that ain't happening today. So that's what, that's what Samaria is doing. And so basically trying to choke out Samaria, which is, sorry, that's what Syria is doing to try to choke out Samaria, the capital, basically until they give up so you can take over uh, their entire country. So that's, that's what God's people are facing. There's, in the city, there's this famine. So nobody's able to eat. There's starvation that's going on. And also you have the Syrian army that is besieging the city. So they're not even able to get goods and crops and food into the city. These first two verses that we're reading today set it up such as the economy is horrible, God's people are starving. And even when it says uh, a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver, um, and it even literally, it, it is such a bad situation that dove's dung, I'm not going to explain what that is if you don't know what it is, dove's dung is being sold for five shekels of silver. They're li- literally paying for dung with silver. This is the level of horrific tragedy that God's people are currently experiencing. Continue on in verse 26. It doesn't get any better. Uh, Let me also say this. Uh, When things like what we're about to read, it's a weird kind of obscure passage. Just know this. Uh, God does not condone any of the foolishness that you're about to see in the Bible. Sometimes people read the Bible and they think, oh, God must be condoned. No, 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 no. God would hate what you're about to read uh, more than you're going to hate it. Verse 26. Now as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, so he's walking on his wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, help my Lord, O king. And he said, this is the king talking, if the Lord will not help you, how shall I help you from the threshing floor or from the wine press? So that's what they would have used to help kind of provide for themselves. Um, He's like, how would I be able to help you in any of these ways? Verse 28, and the king asked her, what is your trouble? She answered, this woman said to me, give your son that we may eat him today and we will eat my son tomorrow. These are mothers now. This is the level of desperation that's going to this level of starvation that they're saying we're going to feed on our children. Verse 29, so we boiled my son and ate him. And on the next day I said to her, give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her, but she has hidden her son. 
When the king heard the words of this woman, he tore his clothes. Now he was passing by on the wall, and the people looked, and behold, he had sackcloth beneath on his body. So basically, the starvation is so great, the desperation. These, these women have said, we're, we're going we're gonna to eat our children. One woman obviously refused to do it. This is horrible. No matter how, no matter how much you're starving, this is not something that God would, would accept. It's pleasing to him. The point is, what the author is trying to, to point out to us, is the level of desperation of God's people at this time is beyond anything that probably any of us are able to imagine. The level of hunger, the level of starvation that is being experienced here. Continue on chapter 7. We'll pick it up in verse 1. But Elisha said, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, tomorrow about this time, a sea, which is about seven liters. So it's a, it's a measure, or maybe it's a sea, it's about seven liters. So think um, a, a pretty large amount. It says, a sea of fine flour shall be sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So Elijah was the prophet of God. He's, he's kind of like the mouthpiece of God, speaks on behalf, on behalf of God, says tomorrow God's going to end all this starvation. He, the, he's saying the, the economy of our, of our kingdom is going to be so changed. He said that seven liters of barley or seven liters of fine flour, I should say, is going to be sold for one shekel of silver. So he's saying just now today, he's saying a donkey's head and he's saying the dove of a dung is being, is being sold for multiple shekels of silver. He's saying tomorrow you're going to have fine flour, seven liters of it, which would have been hard to carry, is going to be sold for just one shekel. And he says two seers of barley, which would be about 14 liters, will be sold for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. So his prophet is prophesying that this is, God is going to change everything in one day. Tomorrow, uh, the economy, the, the whole structure of our country will change. Chapter 2. Then the captain on whose hand the king leaned said to the man of God, if the Lord himself should make windows in heaven, could this thing be? But he said, talking about Elisha, Elisha said, you shall see it with your own eyes, but you shall not eat up. So basically the captain of the king's army goes to him and he's basically like, I mean, even if God opened up the windows of heaven, can that happen? Like, like even if God would, would bring us a miracle, open up the windows of heaven, probably talking about sending rain down, which will, which will effectively end the famine, but it will take a while for there to be prosperity in the land. And he said, even if God opened the windows of heaven up and showered down rain on us, is, is that even possible? And Elisha, noticing his doubt in the Lord, says, you shall see it with your own eyes. Continue on chapter 3. Now there are four men who were lepers at the entrance to the gate. And they said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say, let us enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. And if we sit here, we die also. So now come, let us go over to the camp of the Syrians. If they spare our lives, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall but die. So there are lepers at this time uh, in the uh, kingdom of Israel. Lepers were, were about as much of an outcast as you can get. Right? They, they were not even treated as full humans. Like people, people wouldn't touch lepers. People didn't want to be associated with lepers. They had to live outside the city gates. They, could, they couldn't even come inside the city. So they, they were despised um, and, and, and treated with, with this fear and this hatred. They were rejected. They were seen as unclean. And so they're sitting out here, and they're, they're having a conversation together outside of the city. It's like, okay, if we stay here, we're going to die. If we go inside the city, the famine is there. We're going to die in there. He's like, let's just go to the Syrians and just see if they'll have us. The worst thing that can happen is that we'll die, which is going to happen either way. Pick up and see what they do in verse 5. So they arose at twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians. But when they came to the edge of the camp of the Syrians, behold, 
there was no one there. So the Syrians are outside, they're besieging the city. These lepers go, and there are no Syrians there. Verse 6, for the Lord had made the army of the Syrians hear the sound of chariots and horses, the sound of a great army, so that they said to one another, behold, the king of, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of the Hittites and the kings of Egypt to come against us. So they fled away in the twilight and abandoned their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, leaving the camp as it was, and fled for their lives. Verse 8, and when these lepers came to the edge of the camp, they went into a tent and ate and drank, and they carried off silver and gold and clothing and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried off things from it and hid them. So these lepers, these outcasts, they're like, we're just going to go to Syria and just see if they'll let us live. God has worked this miracle. The Syrian army is gone. God's people are no longer being besieged. And there's silver and there's gold and obviously there's food and also there is drink that is there that these lepers are currently enjoying. Now, the question that I believe should be on our minds when we read that part is what are these lepers going to do about this? Right? These lepers are the outcasts. They're the ones that are treated as less than humans. They're the ones that, that are despised by the people in the city, the ones who are starving. Are they going to, at this time, go to the city and go and let them know, like, hey, the Syrian army is gone. We can take everything that they have or that they had, or would they continue to enjoy it on their own? These lepers basically have become aware of the salvation that God had provided for the city, that God had provided for his people. They did absolutely nothing to earn it. They didn't defeat their enemies. God defeated them. They didn't accomplish their salvation. God accomplished it on their behalf. It was given to them by a mighty act of God. They, they get the joy of, of experiencing and enjoying this salvation that God has offered them. Are they going to share it? Are they going to get over themselves and get over their experience that they have faced enough to go and share it with those who need to know the salvation that God has provided? Some of y'all know where I'm going with this 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 9, then they said to one another, we are not doing right, is what they said, right? They took some of the, the goods away and they hid it. They, they enjoyed the food, they enjoyed the drink, they took the gold and silver, they hid it, they were enjoying it all to themselves, and then they're having another conversation with each other and say, we are not doing right. This day is a day of good news. If we are silent and wait until the morning light, punishment will overtake us. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household, they realize that it would be horrible for them to not share the good news that they are now aware of. How horrible, not even just horrible, I would say it would be evil for them to have this good news and not share it. Not share it with those who are doomed. And that's the, part, that's the reason I read that part in chapter 6 and the beginning of chapter 7, that God's people are facing certain doom at this point, right? When mothers are sacrificing their children, when people are spending this type of money literally for the dung of a dove, God's people are facing certain doom. The lepers, the outcasts, the ones who aren't like, the ones who have been treated as less than humans have discovered the salvation of the Lord. It would have been evil. I don't care how they've been treated. I don't care what their circumstances are. It would have been evil for them to not share it with those who needed it. Let's read 10 through 16. So they came and called to the gatekeepers of the city and told them, We came to the camp of the Syrians, and behold, there was no one to be seen or heard there, nothing but the horses tied to the donkeys, sorry, tied, and the donkeys tied in the tents as they were. Then the gatekeepers called out, and it was told within the king's household. And the king rose in the night and said to his servants, 
I will tell you what the Syrians have done to us. They know that we are hungry. Therefore, they have gone out of the camp to hide themselves in the open country, thinking when they come out of the city, we shall take them alive and get into the city. So the king is saying this is a trap by the Syrians. They know we're hungry, so they left. They knew we were going to go and try to find the food. Then they're going to come and try to capture us, right? Now, whether, whether, whatever, what the king does from this point on is not on the lepers, right? The lepers have done their job. They found the good news. They, they came to realize and know the salvation of the Lord that God had provided for his people. They sent the news into the city. They have no control of what goes on after that. Verse 13, and one of his servants said, one of the servants of the king said to him, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare Sorry, let some men take five of the remaining horses, seeing that those who are left here will fare like the whole multitude of Israel who have already perished. So many have already starved to death. Let us send and see. Verse 14. So they took two horsemen and the king sent them after the army of the Syrians saying, go and see. So they went after them as far as the Jordan. So this has been a long trek. So they basically they went to where the Syrians were. Then they went all the way to the Jordan River, which is the ed- edge of the border of uh, the kingdom of Israel. So they went from Samaria all the way to the border looking for the Syrian army. And behold, all the way was littered with garments and equipment that the Syrians had thrown away in their haste. And the messengers returned and told the king. Then the people went out and plundered the camp of the Syrians. So a sea of fine flour was sold for a shekel and two seas of barley for a shekel, according to the word of the Lord. This is salvation for God's people. This is the, the, the benefit of sharing the good news that the, that the lepers had come to know. They now had an abundance. God, see, God had, just done, God had done more than just saved his people from doom. Or they, they were facing doom. He'd done, he done more than just saying, okay, I'm going to provide for your needs. No, he gave them abundance. His, his salvation was so thorough that they, that they didn't just go from a, from a desperate situation to a, to a um, I'm, I'm just managing, we're going to be able to hold on situation. His salvation was that he blessed them with uh, a richness, with, with, with a, a level of life that can only be described as an outpouring of God's grace with the abundance that he had provided for them. God's people, the people that those, that those lepers knew that they were to go to, they were facing certain doom. I believe the, the thing that we all have to acknowledge that I often don't want to acknowledge, that I think all of us uh, at times who are believers uh, ha- have a, maybe a tendency to forget is that in our world, Anyone, I want to be very clear about this, anyone that does not know Jesus Christ as Lord is facing certain doom, a doom worse than the people of Israel at that time, because it is eternal. And that is the reason why we'll read through all of the graphic and horrible things that are in 2 Kings right there that, that, that show that they kind of put in front of us how horrible of a time it was. Listen, eternal suffering under the condemnation of God, the starvation that the people of God were suffering right now does not compare to that. All of us 
have rebelled against God. Every one of us, we've, we've, we've desired God's blessings without desiring God. We, we've desired to God to be there for us while all the while we've desired to reject him and his call for our lives. If God is any type of good judge at all, every one of us, everyone who has ever walked the earth instead of Jesus or other than Jesus would stand before God. And if he is a good judge at all, all of us stand condemned before him if we stand before him on our own accord. We've lied, we've cheated, we've known what was right and good, and we've chosen what is wrong and evil time and time again. Any of us who stand before the Lord, what, what Romans 6.23 says is true. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We have all earned with our sin death and eternal condemnation from God. We, we, we as Christians, we, I, I don't like to talk about this. I don't think we like to think about this. Our world is doomed outside of Christ. Doomed, facing certain destruction outside of the knowledge of our Savior, Christ. So here's the condition of the people Here's how eternity works out. Here, here are the eternal realities. For those who have placed faith in Christ and what he has done, God will, there will be a day where he lavishes and outpours his blessing of grace and mercy on us in unbelievable ways that we will have never imagined. Just, just as this blessing and this salvation that came into the city, the captain of the king's army couldn't even imagine, couldn't fathom that this level of grace from God would actually bless them the way that it did. And that's what Jesus Christ does for us when he dies in our place. The, the level of grace and the amount of grace that we receive from him, that we see in part now, especially in the next life, we will understand a grace and a love that we have never known before. We will know of a joy that is unspeakable that we can't possibly fathom here on this earth. That's one possibility, the lavishing out of God's grace and mercy in unbelievable, unexplainable ways. But we have to also be real about the other reality that exists. And that is the outpouring. That is the unrelenting, infinite outpouring of the judgment of God on all those who do not turn away from sin and turn to God. Those are the two options. There is no middle ground. Just as it was for God's people in the story, it went from the most desperate situation, certain and sudden doom that was upon them, to a blessing that they would not have been able to imagine. Those are the two eternal realities that everyone in this world needs to know about, needs to be aware of, needs to have told to them. Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No man gets to the Father but by me. Heaven and hell are both real places. We either get the absolute best existence in the entire universe or we get the worst existence in the universe, and there is no in-between. Our reality brings us to the same place as the lepers, does it not? The reality is that the, that the lepers, they had seen both. They, they had seen the judgment and the condemnation and also seen the grace of God poured out. They had also seen the grace of God not just poured out, but poured out that they were currently enjoying, that they had just received As Christians, then, the question that this presents to us, 
Are we going to just enjoy the free gift of salvation that God has saved us from certain doom or, and keep it to ourselves, or are we going to give our lives to the sharing of it with others? Are we going to, after having tasted the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and enjoyed it for ourselves, will we be those who, who keep it to ourselves, or will we be as the lepers and say, this is not good? This is not good that we just keep it to ourselves and go and share it with the lost. It would have been evil for the lepers to not share the good news, and I believe that is also true of us. We, like the lepers, we may have certain circumstances in our lives, certain things that make it difficult. I imagine for those lepers, it would have been real difficult for them to care enough about the people in that city that have rejected them, that treated them as less than human, that made them live separate and apart from them. I, I can only imagine it would have been a very difficult thing for them to share that good news with those that hated them. That doesn't change the fact that it would have been evil for them not to do it. And I believe for us to have this, this news of a greater salvation than the ones that those lepers found. Because everybody who benefited from, from the bread that came from the flour and the barley that was now sold for only one shekel, everybody that benefited from that, they died. That, that, that was a temporary salvation, right? Like they, it was a salvation. It was an amazing blessing from God. But eventually they did die of something. None of them are around now. The salvation that we have in Christ the good news that we know is an eternal, blessed salvation. How cruel it would be to not share. As I think about how difficult it would have been for the lepers, I think about what gets in our way, what, what difficulties cause us to not give our lives to the purpose of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. I know sometimes, and I've, I've been guilty of this personally, just insecurity. We might call it fear of man. I don't like to be rejected. I don't like people to, to feel in a negative way about me because I am sharing with them truth that they need to hear. When I do this, when we do this, just so we're clear on what's going on, we're valuing people's approval more than we value their salvation. If insecurity and fear of man stops us from sharing the good news of Jesus with them, we are valuing their approval over their salvation. That is not love. I will go as far as to say that is closer to hate than it is love. That is evil. We allow our insecurities to prevent us from sharing the greatest news that our universe has ever seen. Another is, is comfort. Man, giving your life to sharing the gospel of Jesus with others is an uncomfortable thing. God might call you to go to somebody you don't like. Right? Walking in submission to God, he might call you to go to somebody that's very different from you, thinks different from you, has different political views from you. Right? He might send you to anybody. It is unbelievable to me how much the fear of an awkward conversation prevents Christians from sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. The fear of an awkward conversation with somebody causes us so much hesitation. Some of us, and this is a real thing, some of us are very naturally shy. It's a real thing. I know I've, I've experienced a lot of shyness in my life as well. It doesn't change the fact that we must share the good news. It might change how we go about doing it. It might change that. It doesn't change the fact that we're called to submit to our God and follow him, to share the same good news that we have received, to allow others to know the blessing of the grace of Christ that we have come to know. For some of us, it's fear of man and rejection. For some of us, it's comfort. For some of us, it is, it's an issue of priorities. 
For some of us, we filled our lives with so many things that we aren't leveraging for any type of eternal purpose. That any thought of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ leads to a statement of I don't have time or leads to a thought of I don't have time. No, you have time. You're doing one of two things. Either you're filling your life with things that you cannot use as a means of maybe building relationships for the purpose of sharing the gospel, or you can't use for the purpose of sharing the gospel, or there are things that you are currently doing that you can actually leverage and use for the kingdom of God that you aren't using for those purposes. One of those two things are happening. Either you prioritize things that that are pulling you away from those opportunities, or you're not truly seeing the opportunities that are in front of us every day of our lives. Try to give an example. Um, when we first started, well, a little bit after we started doing ministry uh, at Benedict College, uh, I love playing uh, Madden football. I don't know if anybody else loves, play, loves playing Madden. I absolutely love uh, playing Madden. I started, uh, met a few guys uh, who thought they could beat me. Um, uh, one of them's name's Tay. I don't know if y'all know him. Uh, I, I, I got to know those guys. I bonded, uh, I think, probably with Tay, Jamal. I think... Uh, King probably as well. I'm not sure who, who all else. I'm not sure if I played you, David. I can't remember. But uh, my point is, I, my purpose, I, I was able to take something that I loved doing. I loved playing. That wasn't work for me, right? That, that, that was like leisure time. And we would talk about any and everything. We would talk about the Lord. We were bonding as brothers in the faith. It was something that I could leverage for the gospel of Jesus. It was one of my greatest joys seeing those guys' names who I just called being baptized as they came to faith. In Jesus Christ. I don't think they came to faith primarily because I, I, I played Madden with them. I do believe uh, that relationships were built that were used for the gospel and for growth. But my point is, it's not always just that we, we, we have to put more things into our schedule to help, help us share Christ. But it's like, is there a way that I can, I, that God, that you would use this? Or would you open doors for conversations about you? And would you give me the boldness to walk through? I know for myself, this is, man, preparing this sermon was one of the most convicting sermons I've prepared for myself. Um, I just spent some time grieving just my own sinfulness and the sin in my heart. I say this to you to maybe help with self-reflection. I, I was trying to figure out what things in my life have I prioritized over the sharing of the gospel with others, right? Well, like what, what things in my life do I care more about? What things in my life have I been more excited about? What things in my life have, have I spent more time thinking about with, with, the time that, with the free time that I have? I came to realize I, I literally cared more about a TV show that I was looking forward to watching than the eternal state of people in my life that I see on a consistent basis. Uh, uh, to be more specific, when The Punisher came out, I was talking about it with everybody. You couldn't shut me up. I was so looking forward to it. it as I was going through this, it was the most convicting thing. I was, and you put more thought into that. You, you cared more about that. Your, your heart beat harder for that than your neighbor who you talk to all the time who you've not talked to about Christ. You literally cared more about a TV show to entertain you than you did about the eternal state, about the eternal state of either doom or salvation of real people who are made in the image of God. This is worth grieving over. This is worth shedding tears over. This is worth going to God and praying for hours over God. Change our hearts. How, how have we possibly become so distracted, God? 
How could we have possibly come to care so much about these things that are not important at all? They're not horrible things. They're just not important. They are not important. People made in the image of God who have value and who have dignity are the most important things outside of God in the universe and to have received the good news of God's salvation and not share it is evil. To care more about a TV show than the eternal soul of a human being made in the image of God is evil. I come to the conclusion I care more about sports than about the souls of others. I come to the conclusion I've cared more about hanging out with friends than about the souls of those who don't know Jesus. That's a tricky one, right? Because for us, and I'll get into this a little bit later, we care, uh, the way we talk about sharing the gospel with people is in a way that is very much, um, in, a, in a very relational way, right? And so uh, when we talk about hanging out with friends, that, that, that is something that can definitely be done uh, for the purpose of the gospel. That's a very important thing to do. I also want to challenge it because I think sometimes uh, as, as those, for, I'm talking mainly to those who have been around Midtown for a while, I think kind of sometimes what we get into is like, you've been building, you're saying you're building a relationship with somebody to share Jesus with them. You've been hanging, you, you've been there for, for two years. You ain't brought up Jesus yet. You're not building a relationship with them to share Jesus with them. You've been their friend for two years. You have not brought up the gospel to them at all. Even though you say this is, this is for the gospel, the gospel without the, the gospel being proclaimed as a church that values relational ministry to the degree that ours does, it is very important that we ask ourselves these questions. Is this actually a relationship for the purpose of the gospel, or is this something I'm using to tell myself that I'm building relationships for the purpose of the gospel? Very important. I believe these difficulties, these things that we prioritize over the sharing of the good news, they stop us from bringing the good news of of the salvation of our Lord when we don't remain mindful of those two eternal realities. That it's an unending, infinite, joyful, mind-blowing, incomprehensible lavishing of the grace of God for all eternity. Well, we will have been there. I love uh, that, that verse in Amazing Grace. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing his praise than when we first begun. That when we will have enjoyed his presence and who he is for 10,000 years with joy unspeakable, every moment of those 10,000 years, we have no less time to enjoy than when we first got there. Enjoying our God and our King. But if that is true, then we must also acknowledge the eternity of the condemnation of all who do not place faith in Christ. For the unspeakable, awful judgment of God they will bear for eternity. There is no in-between. There is no middle ground. I believe when we remember this, it drives the mission that God has called us to like nothing else. Realizing the reality and that there is no middle ground I believe drives us to give our lives to the mission. I believe it drives us to look at our schedules and be like, there are some things that I got going on here that are not important, that are just are not important. That in a hundred years, when I'm with Jesus, I won't care anything about if I did those things at all. But there are some things that if we join God in doing, that will have eternal impact. We get a few years here to join God in affecting eternity. And not only do we remember that there are two Realities, but we remember what Christ did to allow us as believers to enjoy Him forever, that we too have received a victory 
that we did not achieve, that we received the salvation that we did not accomplish on our own, that we received the deliverance that we did not earn. When we remember that, I believe we know this is worth me getting over my preferences. This is worth me getting over my insecurities. This is worth me leveraging every aspect of my life for the kingdom of God. We remember that even though we earned to be rejected and condemned by God for all eternity, he came and lavished his unbelievable grace on us. He abandoned the paradise of heaven. He abandoned his own comforts. He abandoned his own pleasures that we might know of the, comfort, the very comforts that he abandoned. Isaiah 53, 6 says it like this. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord laid on and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of of us all. John 3:16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. I believe this compels us to go share. I honestly believe that because of how difficult it is to actually think about the judgment and condemnation of God, we have chosen to not think about it and think more about his grace and his mercy and his love and that aspect of his care and I think that has actually defeated the mission in our hearts in some ways. This unbalanced look at the very character of God has has caused the mission of God to be less important to us. We don't see it as vital as it truly is. The lepers, they saw both of those realities. They saw the doom and the salvation, and they said, we are not doing right. This is a day of good news. Now, therefore, come, let us go and tell the king's household. Our church officially started. I'll give you a little bit of history of our church. Officially started uh, in 2013. We're about to be at the five-year mark, which I'm excited about. Amen to the one. I hear that one. I hear that one. Probably about four years before then, God started burdening my heart for what we've come to call inner-city communities along Two Notch Road here in Columbia, South Carolina. I was uh, just at... I remember one time specifically, I was just driving down uh, Taylor Street. We got right past uh, Benedict College. I, I, I knew to, to some degree that that part of our city had been rip, riddled by poverty. I didn't know nearly as much as I, as I know now. And God just began to break my heart for this part of our city. Literally, uh, and I know some, some of y'all have seen me cry before. Back then, I didn't cry. Like, this is like, God's done a lot of work on my heart. I was real closed up. It was bad. Don't do that. Don't do that to yourself. But at that time, I, I didn't, I very rarely cried. I'm literally just driving down Taylor Street, and God's just bringing tears to my eyes as he's burdening me for those in this city who, who, who are suffering in, in communities that are riddled with, with poverty. And the phrase and the thing that he just kept burdening me with, is, it, it's, it's not that the, uh, the suffering alone was the thing, but it's that so many people suffering without hope. So many suffering without, without hope in Jesus Christ, with not, without true eternal hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Our church was born out of what I believe is a God-given heartbreak for the suffering that goes on in communities that are riddled with poverty. And specifically, all the suffering that goes on as a result of that for those who don't know Christ. All of those who are suffering and grieving so many things and aren't walking with Christ to be able to find a true anchor for their souls for all those who are suffering under uh, the, the, the pains and sufferings of, of, of being in a community that is riddled with poverty without knowing the joy of the Lord that sustains through suffering. 
I believe having a heart for such communities is a, uh, is a very much a godly thing. We see in the Bible over and over that God causes people to have a special heart for those in communities riddled with poverty. James chapter 1 verse 27 says it like this. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. He's saying you want a religion, you want, you want an, an understanding of what it looks like to serve God that is pure and undefiled, go to widows and orphans. At that time, widows and orphans are those who, who are the most vulnerable in the community, uh, even more so than, than, than it is now. The, the debt was stacked supremely against women in that society. So if you did not have a man in your home that was there, that was an advocate for you, that was providing for you, 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 you were just untaken care of. You were forsaken. You were unthought of. And so a widow, one who has lost her husband, and an orphan, one who has lost their dad, is probably the most vulnerable people in a society, those who are most easily taken advantage of, those who do not have have an advocate. And what God does in the Old Testament and the New Testament is send his people to the orphans and widows to advocate for them, to be there for them, to love them, to care for them because no one else was doing it. He's saying, I am going to care for those who are not being cared for through the actions of my people. Old Testament, New Testament, it's the same. Go to the orphans. Go to the widows. Go to those who are poor. Go to those who cannot provide for themselves. Go for the, to those who cannot advocate for themselves for whatever reason. Go to them. I'll read James 1.27 again. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Jesus, I want to share how he revealed the, the, the need for, uh, in his ministry, uh, for those who, who go to the poor. Matthew 11, we'll read verses 2 through 5, starting at verse 2. Now, when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? So this is John the Baptist. He's the one who's already proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah, he is the king that God has sent to save this world. He is in prison because he has, has stood up to King Herod. He's about to be beheaded. He seems to be having this moment of doubt, so he sends his disciples to Jesus to be like, hey, are you the one that was prophesied about, or should we be looking for somebody else? Look what Jesus said in verse 4. And Jesus answered them, go and tell John, what you hear and see. Jesus' response to, to John, Jesus' response to John asking a question, are you supposed, are you who you are supposed to be? Are you who you claim to be? He's saying, hey, go tell John what you're seeing. Then he goes in verse 5 in this list of things that they are seeing. Verse 1, the blind, I mean verse 5, the blind receive their sight. That's one thing that you're seeing. Go tell John that. The lame walk. Tell John that the lame are walking. He wants to know if I am who I say I am. Tell him the lame people are walking. Those who are crippled, they're walking. Lepers are cleansed. Those who are seen as unclean, the lepers, they are clean now. And the deaf hear, and the dead are being raised. People who are dead are coming back to life. Everything that sin has done to break our world, I am undoing it. Tell John that. Tell him all these miracles that are going on. And look at the last thing on the list in verse 5. And the poor have good news preached to them. He's saying it is evidence that I am who I say I am when the poor have the good news of the salvation of God preached to them. He puts preaching the good news of his salvation to the poor. 
in the same list as the blind receiving their sight, the lame walking, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hearing, and the dead are being raised up. The poor are those who, not, not just now, but for, for as long as there have been societies in our world, the poor have been neglected, the poor have been looked down on, the poor have been unloved, the poor have been those who have not been treated like humans, the poor have been those who need advocates for them. For as long as we can tell there have been societies in our world, and he's saying evidence, evidence that I am who I say I am, that my ministry is what it is to be, is that the poor have the good news of Jesus sent to them, that those who have been neglected are no longer neglected, that those who have been treated as less than human no longer are being treated as less than human, that those who have been overlooked are no longer being overlooked. He's saying it's evidence that I am who I say I am, is what Jesus says. The lepers, after enjoying the salvation that God had provided for them, while not sharing it with others who were impoverished, they came, and and hear this, not sharing it with others who were impoverished at the time because of the famine, they said, we're not doing right. And may we say the same thing. If those who are experiencing the, 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 the problems of poverty in this very neighborhood where we are do not have the good news preached to them. May we say the same thing, that we are not doing right. And may we respond as the lepers responded, as they said, now therefore come, let us go and tell the king's household. They said to each other, let, let's, let's go and make it known. Telling the king's household, it wasn't just saying we only want the king to know, but they knew if, they, if the king's household knew, then, then everybody in the whole kingdom was going to find out about it. This was their way of sharing it with as many people as they could. Now, therefore, come, let us go and let us tell the king's household. They said, I mentioned this a little bit earlier. I know as a church, we've really emphasized relational ministry. We feel that's very important. We feel like that's what God primarily uses as far as sharing the gospel in the context of relationships to bring people to himself. I want to make that clear because I know a lot of people that their view of, of evangelism or sharing the gospel with the lost is primarily I'm going to go and meet a stranger. I'm going to share uh, Jesus Christ with them. Maybe I'll use a track. I'm going to see if they want to pray to receive salvation in Jesus Christ. If they say no, maybe they will later. If they do, we'll, we'll, we'll celebrate with them for a little bit and send them on their way. And I know that's the way, and I'm not saying God doesn't use that. I believe God does use that, has used that in many ways. I would say that it's not the primary way that he brings salvation to people. Uh, to, to try to illustrate why I say that, here's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, I'm going to need a little bit of participation from you. Uh, if you came to know what it means to truly follow God through a person or groups of people uh, that you have some form of relationship with, this could be your parents, this could be siblings, this could be friends, this could be a church or a ministry that you are a part of. So you, it, it wasn't primarily through one person coming to you, sharing the gospel with you one time, but rather an ongoing relationship and coming to know who Jesus is. If that is how you came to know who Jesus is, will you raise your hand in the room? Look around the room. Look around the room. Keep them up. Look around the room. It was largely through a group of people. You can put them down. Largely through, for us in this room, a group of people who came together and said, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is who God is in an ongoing way. And so we push relational, what we call just relational ministry or discipleship through relationships is one way I like to say it. The consistent presence of a body of believers sharing the gospel in a relational, ongoing, consistent way is how we've seen God at work, even just in our church, to bring people to him. 
That's difficult. That causes a lot of sacrifice. For us as a church, one of the ways we first tried to do this, uh, some of y'all remember, if y'all were around at the very beginning, uh, we used to throw cookouts outside almost every week. We was breaking the grill out. My man Aaron Hassel right here, if you was around, you don't even need me to tell you how anointing he is at grilling, right? You don't even need me to tell you if you were around because of the pork chops, if you were there that Sunday that I still long for. We used to do cookouts about three out of four, about three out of four Sundays uh, in the month. We just said, and, and anybody from the neighborhood could come. We had music, we had games, kids was coming out. Anybody from the neighborhood, we just wanted to meet people. We wanted to be able to begin to build the, the, the kind of the foundations of those relationships through those cookouts so that we can use those relationships to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. Since then, we've done block parties or some type of events, oftentimes on Saturdays, where we, we even bigger than the, than the Sunday parties that we would throw. we bring like a bounce house out, right? It really wasn't anything different from the Sunday things. It was just a bounce house, so it felt like a block party. So we had a bounce house out there for the kids. We called it a block party or some type of event that we've had for the same purpose, just so that we can meet people, just so we can begin to build those relationships that we can leverage for the gospel of Jesus Christ. The, the events weren't so that we can say, yeah, we did an event. We're doing outreach. It was like, no, we, 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 we're just trying to find a way to continue to meet people so that we can build the foundations of relationships we have a life group that on, on many Wednesdays, depending on the weather and the amount of daylight, that just walks around the neighborhood uh, on, on a lot of Wednesdays over the last, man, shoot, I don't know, four plus years probably. I know Aaron Kelly's been walking around the neighborhood sharing the gospel uh, with people in this neighborhood even before then. I believe doing a great job. I believe you should, you should talk to him. He has many wonderful stories, just awesome stories about those, those times walking around the neighborhood. I'm sure those in, in his life group will be able to, to do the same. I believe God has used many of those things that we've done for his purposes, for sure. And to be honest with you, I've just desired that we would be more consistent as a church in building relationships with those in his neighborhood. I've, I've desired that we, we would be more consistent with them. I've desired that I, would, that I would personally be more consistent with getting to know people in this neighborhood and sharing Jesus with them in a, in a consistent and relational way. So here's what I'm going to start doing. Uh, pending weather uh, and pending I am not getting over an illness like I am today. Uh, hopefully starting next week. Uh, every Sunday, I know if you've been here for a while, we, we, we're, many of us are used to hanging out afterwards on a Sunday. Uh, we, we oftentimes we'll, we'll have some type of like hors d'oeuvres or something just to uh, help us stay in the room because we also obviously want to be building relationships with each other as well. Uh, but, but hopefully starting next week, here's what I'm going to uh, try to do every Sunday pending the weather. Um, it's just take uh, a minute. I'll probably be here for 15, 15 or 20 minutes. I'm just going to go walking around the neighborhood. I want to invite anyone who wants to join me. Uh, to join me. Uh, I've, I've done it. Some of us in the room have done it multiple times. Some of us haven't, haven't done it at all. I, I know for me personally, when I do that, anytime I just go to people and like, hey, I'm with the church. Would love to be able to pray for you. Is there anything we can do? Is there any way we can, we can pray for you? People generally, op generally speaking, people are open to it. I, I've been invited into people's homes many times just saying, hey, can I, can I pray for you? Uh, there's a lady that lives right over here on Irving Street. The last time I went around, I just asked, and she invited me in. I plan on, next time I go, I plan on asking her, hey, I've been praying. You asked me to pray for your health. I've been, I've been praying for it. How's that been going? Can I, should I continue to be praying for this and, and checking in on you? The goal is I want to care about ministry to the poor, about ministry to uh, maybe I should say communities that are riddled with poverty the way that Jesus does. I want to join him in what he's doing. 
with sharing the gospel. I believe specifically for us as a church, this neighborhood, we, as long as God has us here, he has called us to this neighborhood to share his good news. It is the day of good news. It is not good if we are not sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with this neighborhood. For some of us, I know, for some of you, I know that's not something that you are able to do. If it's not something you're able to do, feel no pressure for me to do something that you are not able to do. For some of us, you are able to do it and we're busy. And I'm not, telling, I'm not trying to tell you that you have to do it. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do if you're a member. Pray about it and ask God. God, if you want me to do this, let me know. Guide me, show me, show me how to work it out so I can make it work. If you are calling me to do this, if you're calling me to join in on Sundays, we'll probably, if there's food, we'll probably stay here 15, 20 minutes, something like that. Be able to hang out a little bit and then we'll go walking. And I'm asking, if, if, you are, if you are a member that is able, I'm asking you to pray. Don't just say no because it's uncomfortable. Don't say no because you don't want to. Don't say no because it's inconvenient. Ask God and trust that if he is calling you to it, he will give you what you need to do it. As God's people, we make sacrifices for the purposes of his mission. We sacrifice comfort. We sacrifice preferences. We sacrifice our time. We sacrifice our lives. Because our God, Jesus himself, who came to us from heaven, he sacrifices comfort. He sacrifices preference. He sacrificed his very life that we might receive the grace of his salvation for all eternity. May we be a church that follows our Savior, that walks as he walks, that lives as he lived, that, sacrificed the way that, he, that sacrifices the way that he sacrificed and that shares the good news as he did. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are good. You are so good to us, God. You, though we deserved, though we deserve, Lord, to be apart from you, though we deserve to be judged by you because all of us have rejected you, all of us have, have turned away from you and gone astray like sheep, Lord. But when we went astray, God, you didn't leave us to our own devices. You didn't just stay back in the comforts of heaven, but God, you came down and you went to us. No matter what the cost was, no matter what you had to give up, no matter what you had to suffer, you came to us because you wanted us to know of your grace. You wanted us to know of your salvation. God, would you make that true of us? That we would push past our comforts, that we would push past our fears, that we would push past our messed up priorities, Lord, that, Lord, that you would order our hearts in such a way that we care most about what we're supposed to be caring about. Lord, that we would see the things in our lives that are unimportant, that we would see those as unimportant things. Lord, that we would value every man, woman, and child that is made in your image, that we would care that they know you. Lord, that we would spend time in prayer for those that we know that do not know you. Lord, that we would spend time in prayer for this neighborhood that you have planted us in that those who do not know you will be able to come to faith in you, that, you would, that we would spend time in prayer that you would use us. Lord, that we would spend time in prayer that you would, you would help us overcome whatever insecurities might get in the way, whatever fears might get in the way. Lord, I don't want to make a, a, a cookie-cutter model for what it looks like to join you in your mission. I know you don't call everybody to do that the same way, but Lord, for those that you do want to join on Sundays, Lord, I pray that you would get us there. Lord, if, if you are calling us to it, I pray you would interrupt our sleep. You would do whatever that you, you need to do to get our attention, Lord, so that we would go and live as you, has called, as you have called us to live as your missionaries where you have sent us. 
Lord, we need your spirit. We need your spirit to move in us, to be at work in us, Lord. Lord, we are our people. We, we, we are humans who can be prone to be selfish, who can be prone to prioritize other things that aren't nearly as important, Lord. Would you order our priorities, order our hearts. Renew us with a passion to share your good news with those that don't know you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.